A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus said in reply, The coming of the kingdom of God cannot be observed, and no one will announce, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is among you. Then he said to his disciples, The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. There will be those who will say to you, Look, there he is, or look, here he is. Do not go off. Do not run in pursuit. For just as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer greatly and be rejected by this generation. The Gospel of the Lord. There is a tendency when we hear that statement, behold, the kingdom of God is among you, to assume that Jesus is talking about this subtle, gradual coming to be of the kingdom that mysteriously is already here, we just don't see it. And while he gives us that explanation of the kingdom elsewhere in Scripture, here we have to be careful not reducing his words to that idea. Because on the one hand, the Lord is talking about this kingdom that we long for, and yet do not see. And note what he says. Be careful when someone is quick to point it out, saying, look, it's over there, you've just been missing it. Look, it's right here, you just don't see it. And notice what Jesus says, don't run after that. Don't pay attention to that. And he speaks of the longing of his disciples to see his glory. And he goes further and says, and someone's going to come and say, he's here. Don't run off to find him. Or there he is. Don't run there to seek him. And note how he follows it up. Because when I do come, you're not going to miss me. Know what the Lord is saying here. He's not talking about some gradually growing reality. He's also talking about something that will be sudden, manifest, of dramatic clarity. That the kingdom of God will break upon you in a way that you're not going to be able to miss. What a remarkable statement that is that in addition to this aspect of growing quietly, there's also this aspect of sudden, dramatic clarity. Just as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, 
so will my coming be. In other words, you won't miss it. No one will need to point that out to you. It will be so clear it will not be able to be ignored. It cannot be overlooked. And it will come of a sudden. What are we to do with that? This idea of the suddenness of the kingdom, the dramatic forcefulness of the kingdom. On the one hand, the Lord is speaking of that day when he ushers this world to its completion. And that day which we do expect and we do long for, again, is a day that everyone will experience, no one will miss, and there will be no doubt about what is happening. There's a definiteness about the kingdom. There is a boldness about the kingdom. There is a clarity about the kingdom. And between this day and that day, one of the ways that the kingdom presents itself to us involves clarity like that. Maybe not clarity across the earthly sky of this world as a lightning flash, but clarity across the skies, the cloud-ridden skies of our hearts. That moment the Lord speaks of the kingdom breaking into our lives too. The kingdom is not simply something small and quiet that grows, but something mighty and clear that claims us. And it's this aspect of the kingdom, that idea of that reality of sudden clarity and claim that marks the life of the saint we celebrate today, Martin of Tours, who as a young man raised in a pagan family at 15 years old enrolled himself in the church among the catechumens, attracted to the Christian gospel. We don't know exactly what it was that struck him, but something did. And so he stepped out of the religious indifference and the pagan worship of his family, seeking the gospel of Jesus Christ. Something flashed across the sky of his heart that called to him and attracted him. And this so offended his father that his father made sure that shortly thereafter Martin was enrolled in the army, thinking the violence and coarseness of military life on the frontier of Rome will cure him of that odd attraction to this strange Christian way. And it did nothing of the sort. Martin, a faithful soldier, one day outside the town of Amiens, is confronted by a beggar lying there, obviously destitute, likely sick, who cried out for alms, for help in the name of Jesus Christ. Martin had no money. All he had was his weapon, his sword, and what he was wearing. And so at the beggar's words, Martin responded because, again, something flashed across his heart. 
You can't miss the kingdom. Something spoke into Martin's life here in a powerful way, and he drew his sword and took his coat, cloak and cut the cloak in half and wrapped the beggar in his cloak. In a sense, he actually desecrated his uniform to care for this beggar. He put his sword and his military garment at the service of the voice of Jesus Christ. Because that's what Martin heard when the beggar called in the name of Christ. The next night, while Martin is in bed, the Lord, surrounded by his angels, appeared to him. Note again, Jesus' statement, when I come, you can't miss it. And so the Lord is there, and the angels singing his glory, and it is the Lord wearing that half of a cloak. And he turns to the angels and says to them, while only a catechumen, not yet baptized, look at the honor with which he has clothed me. The kingdom of God is among you. On the one hand, yes, small, subtle, growing. On the other hand, flashing across the sky with the bold, bright brilliance of lightning. Not long after that, Martin was baptized. Martin eventually left his military service saying to his commander, I now have a new commander. And when he was accused of cowardice, Martin said, I will go unarmed at the head of the troops, but I will kill no one. So that there is no doubt that this is not about cowardice. It was a remarkable example. A remarkable example, a faithful soldier, a bold man, but one who understood that when the gospel calls and claims, then that is the law I must obey. This gesture of Martin, the mercy he extended to that beggar who turns out to be the presence of Christ, is something that continues with him. In fact, governors and rulers did not want to meet with Martin because they knew he would ask for mercy for prisoners and they'd be unable to say no. This recognition that the gospel claims the heart and puts it to concrete use in the world, and that when Christ calls and claims, he claims over all other authority. And when one hears that crystal clear voice of the gospel, there's only two choices, to obey or not to obey. But there is no doubt about who is speaking. When I come, you will not miss me. Martin became Bishop of Tours. So we call him St. Martin of Tours, not because he was born there, but that is because, but it was because of where he served. But Martin was an odd man. Even in the military, it was said he lived more like a monk than like a soldier. And it was his holiness that caused the people of Tours to want him to be their bishop, and so they tricked him. 
They sent word to him about somebody who was sick and in distress because they knew that would attract Martin. And when Martin got there and found out they wanted to make him bishop, he hid in a barn full of geese. And it was the cackling of the geese that gave him away. <laughs> so folks found him, they pushed and prodded and got him to the church, and he still got the straw in his hair. And in his clothing, he's completely disheveled, he smells of the barn. And the bishops who came to consecrate him are laughing at him because of how disheveled he is. How much like a beggar he looks, in a sense. He was there with the stink of the stable that Jesus was born in. When I come, you can't miss me. And as bishop, Martin brought, in a sense, a military degree of organization to certain aspects of the life of his diocese. He's one of the early bishops to institute something like a parish. And he made the commitment, just as a good captain visits his troops to keep them in order, the bishop would regularly travel on foot or on a donkey or by a boat, even to the most distant parishes, so that he could be with them and help them put their lives in order. A touch of the legion, the Roman legion came with him, but pressed into the service of the gospel. The young man, who was a good soldier and lived like a monk, became a bishop who lived in a monastery, but still soldiered faithfully in the name of Christ. So much so that at the end of his life, while he is sick and lying on his bed, and his body is racked with pain, he's lying on his back, and the priest who gathered to pray with him said, Martin, if you rolled over on your side, it probably wouldn't hurt so much. You'd have a little relief. And Martin turned to them and said, that may be true, but this way, I look toward heaven, and I don't want to turn my eyes away, so that when the moment comes, I am already moving in the right direction. It's a simply, it's a wonderful, simple little story, and yet so consistent with his living. His eyes were always fixed on the prize. His eyes were always fixed on the goal. When he saw flash across the sky of his heart the lightning of the kingdom, he didn't want to look anyplace else. In fact, he couldn't. And it colored everything he saw and everything he did. So much so that even at the end, he would rather suffer earthly pain simply to be allowed to look in the direction of heaven. What a remarkable example that is. How many of us could say that? Even on our best day, how many of us could really say that? What a tremendous example. 
One of the versions of the story of Martin and the beggar insists that at the end of his vision of Christ coming with the angels, Martin's cloak was made whole again. That that which was offered, in a sense, was given back to be placed more fully into service. That what we place at the service of the gospel is not lost, is not taken away from us. But what a tremendous example we have on this day where we as a nation as well remember the many, many whose names perhaps are even forgotten, who out of simple faithfulness have done so much to keep the rest of us safe and free. But Martin's example is also important for us that we never forget, in a sense, those veterans of the Christian struggle, those whose prayerfulness, whose presence, whose steady, constant faithfulness has prepared the way for us to follow as well. We gather here because of them, too. And Martin is marvelous for this dual example that he is for us. Faithful soldier, holy man, faithful man of God, faithful soldier who served in the ranks of the kingdom. As we come forward today, there's one other interesting note about Martin. You've all heard the word chapel, haven't you? The word comes from the temporary tents that were used when St. Martin's relic was brought out to travel across France. And the relic was his cloak. The cloak of Martin was one of the prized relics of the Church of France. And when it would be brought out into the villages, into the towns, a tent was set up over it called the place of the cloak. And the word for cloak is something like chapel. Whenever you pray in a chapel, there's the echo of Martin's cloak spread over you. The beggar in need who cries out for mercy in the name of Jesus Christ. What a marvelous image that is. This cloak spread over the one who cries out for help in the name of Jesus. And the name of that structure, the chapel, comes to us from the word for the cloak of St. Martin of Tours. In just a few minutes, we're going to come forward and receive that same Lord who spoke to Martin from that begging presence before the gates of Amiens. We are going to come forward and receive that same Lord whose gospel flashed across the heart of Martin. The kingdom of God indeed is among us. And maybe, just maybe, someone here in receiving him in Holy Communion and going back to the place might feel that flash of bright clarity of his presence. If you don't feel it, don't despair.
Because note what the Lord says. You'll long for it. You'll long for it, but it won't be there when you're looking for it. But the day will come. The day will come when my presence will flash in your heart. Oh, and there won't be any doubt who it is. There won't be any doubt where I am. You'll know. Because when I come in that way, you will not miss me. What we need to pray for is not when will that be, Lord, but rather when that day arrives and that brightness flashes in my heart. May I, my, my amen to your presence be the amen of one like Martin, one that puts my life completely at your service. Amen.